0: Hello, and welcome to the XXLA Architects Podcast, a show featuring Los Angeles' leading women in architecture and issues relevant to our profession. I'm your host, Audrey Sato, and I'm gonna start off this episode with a question to you. Do you know anyone who has worked in architecture for over 60 years with their own practice? Now think about whether any of the people you know are women. Well, my guest today is Weena Dowes, who graduated from UC Berkeley in 1950 and had her own residential design practice for over 60 years in Los Angeles, retiring only recently at the age of 86. She talks about what it was like to go to architecture school in the late 40s, how she found work and then went on to build a successful practice and raise three kids. Coincidentally, I once went on a potential client interview where they told me that they wanted to work with a female architect because they had previously worked with a woman named Weena Dows and had such a fantastic experience with her. I believe that Weena and women like her made the world I entered into a better place, and I am thankful to share her stories here with you.
1: I grew up in Taft, California. Well, not even in Taft, outside of Taft. It's Mm -hmm. an oil town. And our dads all worked for the oil companies. And there were eight houses where I lived. It was on the oil company properties. And three of us in those eight houses became architects. I think,
0: how come? Yeah.
1: Me and my sister and and one of the boys up the road a little. Both of us went to UC Berkeley. She went in the 30s. She knew that that's what she wanted to do from the time she was 10 years old.
0: And so did she have her own solo practice throughout her career too? Yeah. But that was uncommon, right? Yes. I mean, how did your sister know when she was 10 what what an architect was?
1: She built a clubhouse out of adobe bricks that she made when she was a teenager.
0: And did you help her?
1: I suppose, but she went away to college when I was about seven, I guess, so I wasn't much help at that age, I don't think. And I wasn't going to be an architect because I didn't want to be like her.
0: (laughs) So what changed your mind?
1: I I wanted to go to UC Berkeley because that was a family tradition. When I got there, they said, what's your major? And I said, I don't know. Pick one. I said, okay, math, because I liked algebra. And then after a year or so, I thought, what am I going to do with math? And to me, I looked around and all the math majors were kind of crooked from (laughs) carrying around big briefcases. And I started taking a class here and a class there. And finally, I thought, I'm going to take an architecture class. And guess what? It was fun. (laughs) So I transferred to architecture.
0: Were there a lot of women in the architecture major? No,
1: there were 100 in my class and five of us were women.
0: And so were you treated differently?
1: Yeah, I wasn't aware of it at the time because Uh I was busy doing my homework and projects. But yes, I think we were treated differently. We were treated superficially. Like, you're not here to get an education. You're here to find a nice artist architect husband. But I think the professors did not think I
0: was serious. So the other students, they knew you were serious, but maybe the professors...
1: Well, I think just because I was a woman, we'd have crits. They'd come around to our drafting tables, and mine lasted five minutes, and the guys lasted a half hour. And I I always did well in the engineering classes, so there wasn't any question there about, was I serious? In fact, I remember going to see one of the engineering professors and arguing with him because we had to design a girder to span an auditorium down to every rivet. And I went to him and I said, if I have a job that requires a six-foot-high girder to span 1,000 feet, I'm going to hire 10 engineers. (laughs) And he says, yes, and you need to be able to talk to them. And I thought... Okay, you win.
0: That is true. So from school, what were your expectations like for yourself, your career, and your life?
1: Well, they weren't very well formed, but the immediate one was I graduated, and then I got married in July, and Dave was in school for another four years, and I knew I was going to be working and the breadwinner. So I went off looking for a job.
0: So you spent the next four years basically supporting you both. hmm
1: Was ba- that? Barely.
0: Um, yeah. Was that uncommon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so how did you do that?
1: Well, I went around to offices, mostly in San Francisco, because we were living in Berkeley. And some of them just looked at me and said, we don't hire women. And I'd say, okay, Bye. And I was getting kind of desperate because I couldn't find a job. And finally, I offered to work for this guy free for two weeks. And then if you like me, you hire me. And that's what happened. I quit after a year because one day he came into the drafting room and he said, can anybody type? Silence. Finally, I said, I can type, but I am not a typist. I'm an architecture person. And he said, just this once, he wanted uh, specifications typed. And it was especially annoying to type them because you had to put carbon paper on the back so they'd print extra heavy. So you typed on the front and you were getting the same on the back. You could not erase. So I did the specs for him. And then the next week he came in and said, would you just do just one more? And I said, all right, I'll do one more, but that's it. So the third time he came in and said, would you do one more? And I said, no, I quit. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do now? <laughs> but it was much easier to get a job once I had a year's experience. So I didn't have, I got a job pretty quickly. And it was a small office. There were, there were two bosses and about five of us drafting And I was as fast and as accurate as the guys, if not more so. But they got paid more.
0: How did you know?
1: I didn't know for sure until I left there. When Dave got his Ph.D., we moved to, he got, his first job was at Cornell. And I asked my boss for a letter in case I ever wanted to work again. And he said in the letter that we would pay her much more or some more equivalent with the guys or something like that, if she ever wanted to come back. And I'm thinking,
0: so why didn't you pay me now? Yeah. I bet that still happens a lot. It's hard to know because people don't talk about money in that way.
1: Yeah. Well, ex- expenses were a good deal less, but I think I earned about 4000 a year. But our rent was only $55 a month. And all these are such old numbers that they're startling <laughs> to hear today.
0: Sure. But how much less would you assume would it be than a, what, you know, the male equivalents in your office were making?
1: Well, as you've probably noticed, people don't talk about salaries. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what they got, but...
0: But you know that it was more well, from if, that letter. If you
1: just look at where they lived and their cars and all, they were much better than my car. Or, well, I took the bus to get to work.
0: That's got to be infuriating and difficult to keep moving forward and not get kind of um upset and
1: well, I knew it was I knew I wasn't going to stay there indefinitely and I also did all the office work, which all the filing and any correspondence I did that for the company i was the only woman and guys don't do that right
0: not back then anyway
1: so i rather enjoyed that because if i got sick of sitting at my drafting table i'd go do filing or write a letter for them or something and i think they became quite dependent on me
0: is that how you learn how to run a business
1: oh probably some ran off yeah
0: because I would think that actually you benefited from that by having a wider experience of the company and of what it takes to do everything in an office. Yeah,
1: that's probably true And how to organize the jobs because we ran multiple jobs at a time, which mm-hmm. I also did when I had my practice.
0: So, yeah, how did that start? It started because
1: after two years in New York, we moved back to California and we bought a house, and I did some remodels to it. They were pretty minor, like I, m- I moved the front door so you didn't walk in the living room, and it made the living room much easier to furnish because it wasn't a walkthrough. There was a funny closet in this first house. It was the full length of the room, but it was only two feet deep or maybe 30 inches, and you either could open it all up with doors... And then there's no place for the bed, or you could just have one little part of it be the closet and shove stuff back in this hole. I redesigned that into a nook bed with bookcases and a light and a drawer that had a company bed in it and a closet that you could access. And the, the guy I found to build it said, "And oh, this is pretty funny to me. I'm in there, and mutter, mutter, mutter. And the next thing I know, he says, "I'm going to build one of these for my house."." <laughs> and another the guy who moved the front door says, "I've got a job for you." And while I was working and for the second person, I got a job to design a, a drive-in. And I was so excited and I just put my heart and soul into it. And then it turned out all he really wanted was plans sufficient for a permit. And he didn't do any of my features. And I was, when I went by to see it, I cried. I could hardly recognize it. But this guy who moved my front door and all, he, he had contacts. And also, we didn't have any furniture when we moved in this house. So I took a furniture-making class. And the first night of class, he said, bring a picture or a drawing of what you want to make. So the next week, I show up with this fully dimensioned, scaled drawing of a desk (laughs) I wanted to make. And he looked at that drawing, he looked at me, and he says, what do you do? (laughs) And I said, architecture. And he started sending me jobs. And it probably took a couple of years before I could, could have been independently, economically okay. But Dave had a job by then, and it paid exactly what I'd been earning to start. So that was a pretty easy transition. And then my practice just grew and grew, and all I had to do was answer the phone. I was great.
0: Wow. So no advertising, just word of mouth. Yeah. And it sounds like from all of these first experiences, it was somebody seeing your actual work and being impressed by that and not caring whether you were male or female, just having the work speak for itself.
1: There were a few jobs where it was an advantage to be a female, uh, mostly jobs for couples. Mm -hmm. And the wife was really happy to have a woman's touch. And she thought I'd do a better kitchen than the guys would, for example. And I definitely didn't get a few jobs because from my name it's not absolutely clear I'm a woman and I'm not I wasn't in a woman's profession and I'd show up and I could see oops I'm not going to get this job <laughs> like they're saying well we're expecting someone what do you want I'm the someone and and I could tell they're not going to hire me I didn't ever take it personally cuz they didn't even get to know me it was their con- misconceptions about what I would be like.
0: Well, that's a really healthy attitude to take about it.
1: Well, somewhere along the line, I learned, don't be desperate to get a job. Because people pick up on, she's desperate to get this job. Let's hire somebody else. And so I'd go with, oh, that sounds like an interesting job. I'm not desperate. (laughs) (laughs) I, I never said that, but I guess I demonstrated it somehow. I wasn't saying, you know, I could start tomorrow. Or, In fact, there was a period where people had to wait at least six months, and they waited.
0: Did you ever think about hiring people? And
1: I hired people from time to time. For quite a while, I was on the advisory board for LA Trade Tech. They have an architecture program, and a bunch of us would go down once a year and visit the classrooms and look at the curriculum and talk to the students. And
0: How did that transition to being involved with LA Trade Tech come about?
1: Well, the daughter I have who became an architect, one mm-hmm. summer she was home, and it was early in my career. And when you go to Berkeley, at least when I went, you don't learn much practical and I'm not sure I ever heard the word floor joist mentioned <laughs> in my years there. So I felt like I wasn't sure what I knew about how a building actually gets built. Hmm. So she and I went down and took a summer course in building, building. And we made models, and the two by fours were like half inch by quarter inch. <laughs> <laughs> and foot high or something like that. Sure. And we made a model of one of the my projects that I was working on. And I thought, hmm, I do know how a building goes together. But that was my connection with Trade Tech, was starting that class and then one of my colleagues from Berkeley taught there, I think. And okay. started getting me involved in volunteering for this advisory board and all. But that was a good lesson that, yes, you do know something.
0: How did you, and so if you weren't taught it in school, was it just something you picked up on the job? Mm -hmm. I think that's still the case, even though we do teach a lot more about building construction and systems and all of this. I think it really settles in once you actually see how the structure's working. It's not just something on paper.
1: Yeah, I remember one job that people hired a contractor that I didn't know, and I was doing a site visit one day, and he said, the contractor said, you know those boards up there? And I said, you mean the second floor joists? Oh, oh yeah, he said, the floor joists. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, you don't know what a floor joist is, and you're building my project.
0: <laughs> Oops! <laughs> did it turn out okay? I guess I.
1: I can't remember. I I really did hundreds of jobs.
0: Right. I mean, because you worked for over sixty years, mm-hmm. and how long of a period was that with your own practice?
1: Well, it was most of my career and. My situation was I really liked what I did. My phone kept ringing. And so I retired at 86.
0: Wow. And you just loved doing it? Yeah,
1: almost always.
0: So what made you retire?
1: Well, I thought, you know, 65 is kind of the nominal retirement age, <laughs> and that was 21 years <laughs> before. That I, I think this is enough. <laughs> Two things actually made me retire, though. One was... I just got sick of dealing with the building departments. You'd go with the rules that you understood and they'd have new rules, but you didn't find out about them.
0: Yeah, it has gotten a lot tougher. And they do keep changing. And my last
1: clients were probably the worst I ever had.
0: And it isn't, they paid me.
1: And long ago, I decided the best way to charge was by the hour because if you did a contract price, well, the, con- the appliances aren't in the contract because we're paying for those separately or this mm-hmm. isn't in the contract or that. That wasn't very fair. And then I tried a fixed rate and found that people called me day and night because they had a fixed amount uh-huh. and they were going to use it. That didn't work.
0: I think I'm still having issues where some people don't want to, they don't feel comfortable. And maybe it's having years of experience under your belt where people start trusting yeah, the gray
1: hair helped, <laughs> especially at the building department. Like, oh, if she's been around that long, she must know something. And I'm proud to say I never cried at the <laughs> building department, <laughs> <laughs> but I saw other women doing that. And then the plan checker would call her back and seem like sign something off, and I thought, you know, just tell me what the rules are. I will follow them.
0: You know, a lot of the people we work with, uh, engineers, contractors, uh, most of the time, a lot of the time, they're men. I'm sure back when you were uh, first starting out, even more so, they were Mm -hmm. men. Um, Did you ever run into problems working with men in those types of positions where, you know, they're condescending or don't listen to you? Oh, yeah. What did you and do? sometimes they called me
1: honey and or Sweetie. dear or something, and I thought, down, <laughs> no, we're not discussing that. Well, I guess one of the things I always kind of worried about was stairs, that I got the right number and all. And one day, sure enough, this contractor that I liked called me and he says, "Weena, the stairs don't work. And I'm thinking, oh, no. So I went out there, and together we measured everything. And my stairs were a quarter inch off of what they... Sh- if they were absolutely perfect, they would have been a quarter inch different in the, the whole run.
0: So really, it was and nothing. <laughs> he
1: apologized profusely, and I became his favorite designer.
0: I don't know if that's like... um you know, a a sort of unconscious sexism from men sometimes where they question something you've done and it's actually right, but they haven't looked at it twice, for example. But that still happens, I mean, to me, too. I went
1: by another job one time and it didn't include a second floor, but it included a giant beam for a future second floor. The beam was in one place and the post for the beam was three feet away. And I looked at that, and there were these two young guys, framers there, no shirts, good-looking, look at me. And I said, this post is not in the right place, and is it on a foundation? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. And they said, that it's in the right place. And I said, it's not in the right place. And they ended up getting fired because, of course, I talked to the their boss. And I said go look at that job. That beam is worthless because it's not supported properly according to the plans. So they got fired and it got corrected.
0: I mean, I think that takes a lot of um, confidence and self-assurance to go into these situations where you're constantly being questioned whether you're right, whether you accounted for something and, you know, plans aren't ever perfect and uh, you can't foresee everything, but you're tasked with being as accurate as you ca- can possibly be. It takes a lot of confidence to deal with these situations. Is that who you naturally are?
1: I finally got some.
0: <laughs> How long did that take? I think I
1: was probably at least mid 40s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what changed? I mean, you know. Well, I think what changed
1: is I had to, I took a look at all the jobs I'd done and I thought, Yeah, you did okay. (laughs) You do know what you're doing. Right. And I made a lot of people happy with my floor plans and the circulation. I think I was especially good at making a house work well.
0: What were some of your favorite projects?
1: Mm -hmm. One was uh, this couple started with a kitchen. And I didn't have a lot of space, but I really crammed a lot of stuff in and got it all to work well for them and then in another year or two they decided they'd by then had three little kids and they wanted a second story and bedrooms upstairs and before i got there there'd been a porch that had been enclosed on the lower floor so the living room was quite large but it only had it had a fireplace on one end and way off to the other end were the windows and the light was just terrible in there. And I think every client I've ever had said, I want lots of light. So I opened up, I took the ceiling out and the, took the roof away and made kind of a U-shaped second story and put a roof skylight in that part of the living room. And now you go in there and you think, oh, what a nice room. It just feels so inviting
0: that sounds wonderful and uh,
1: the people didn't hurt because they were still friends
0: oh that's great they're just
1: delightful there's one other project that sticks out in my mind when oh, we're sure. talking yeah there was this lovely spanish home in west la and someone had stuck a box on the top of it and it looked terrible my job was to build a second story and hide the box and it, If you went by there now, you'd have no idea there was ever a box sticking up. And there's a very functional second story.
0: Did you stick with the Spanish style, or what did you do?
1: Yeah, I did. I think my weakness is elevations. I'm just not as creative and with... What a building looks like. And the remodeling job gave me a big excuse. My object was always to make it look like it was always there Mm -hmm. so that you couldn't go by and say, oh, look, they added on. So it actually, the remodeling business suited me very well because I could easily make make it look like a great Spanish house because I had half the house there.
0: I would argue that actually it's harder. Because you're so constrained in what's already there and to add on what makes sense functionally and plan doesn't always work out with the elevation and making it all look like it wasn't an addition.
1: Well, roofs have often been a challenge roofed in an adequate, uh, attractive way. But I think I did that.
0: So I don't know. I think you're being modest saying your weakness is uh, in elevations because you have to be more skilled, actually, to do these additions. Oh, well, I'll,
1: I'll go with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you think that you were going to you know, work on homes? or? I did want to do
1: residential, but it never occurred to me that In all my career, I'd probably do fewer than 50 new houses and tons and tons of second stories and uh, extensions and whatever. But then I discovered the second stories were challenging because you had to find a way to get there and make it all work like it was always that way.
0: It's actually harder.
1: Yeah, so once I got... Used to the idea that that's what I was, my career was, especially in LA, because where's the dirt? Right. <laughs> there isn't much. I'm an environmentalist at heart, and it really hurts me to tear down a perfectly good building if it just isn't the right thing for you. Once I got asked to do a Victorian, and first I said, do you want a Victorian on all four sides? (laughs) Because I'm not just going to do a front Victorian. And they said, oh, yes, they wanted it all four sides. And I thought, well, that's not my idea of today's house, but let's see what I can do. And I had a great time. And I found all these stick and balls and the hanging pineapples and acorns and And I think it was before the internet, too. So I had to just look in catalogs. And I don't know how I found everything, but I did. And that was really fun to do that.
0: That must have taken a lot of time and effort to do something so intricate.
1: I had something like four pages of specs for the painting and the finishing, which, unfortunately, I don't think they looked at. But when it was first done, it was gorgeous.
0: Were there any points in your career where you thought, I'm going to give up or switch careers? Or was it always pretty smooth sailing?
1: I never felt like that. I never felt like I wanted to quit. I did have some you know, minor incidents that I didn't like. Can't even remember what they were now.
0: Did you have a large support network of other professionals?
1: Well, AWA was a great... I loved it when I discovered them because... I didn't have anybody much to say, have you ever used this material, and what did you think, and how did it work? And and through AWA, I found a number of people. And also, as time went on, certain contractors and I really got along very well. And today I can call this one guy if I have a problem, and he'll send somebody over and then we argue about the bill. <laughs> and it's just, I just felt really fortunate. One time, a contractor that I really like called me and he said, Lena, I've got this set of plans and you didn't do it. And I wish you had. It's incomplete. It's so hard to bid. I hate it. And the contractors liked my plans because I was quite thorough. And I do believe, and I've noticed this with other women too, as a woman in primarily a man's field, which hopefully it isn't anymore, you have to be extra good, extra right, extra honest and careful and accurate. And I think my plans reflected that. One time I, I'd done a several jobs for this family, and they bought a house up the in the Central Coast, And they hired a local architect up there, which I told them I don't want to do it anyway. I don't know their rules. It's too far to keep an eye on. But when it came to the kitchen, he said, Weena, just do the kitchen. So he brought me a set of plans. And the first thing I noticed was that the dimensions on one side of the house didn't add up the same as the other side of the house. And then the dimensions didn't add up the same in the front and the back. And so I started making a list. And I said to my client, I said, there are some problems with these plans, and I really can't work with them. So this was a very forceful lawyer. I think he'd be good to be on your side. And he says, okay, well, you come over to my office. I'm calling him down from the Central Coast, and you tell him all that's wrong. And I said, I don't want to do that. Yeah. He says, you've got to. So I was obedient, and I went, and I had a list. And The guy just sat there with his computer, and he didn't say much the whole time. I listed all the things I'd seen that weren't right. And at the end, he said, thank you, in a very soft voice. And finally, the plans got so I could work with them, But I couldn't find out what size space I had to work for in the kitchen. So that was actually kind of fun. But it wasn't fun at the moment to sit there and tell this well-established architect that his plans were... (laughs) XXXX. X, X, X.
0: <laughs> Can't
1: say the word.
0: Well, I'm glad that it was well-received on his end.
1: Well, and the house turned out great.
0: And through all of this, you managed to raise three daughters as well. Yep. Did you have to stay up late or work weekends to do this? I mean... Well, I tried not to work
1: nights or weekends. Sometimes I worked weekends.
0: So you, you just managed it all?
1: I remember a client saying how do you do it with three little kids and how do you manage? And I said, well, what are my options? Not manage? You just do what you need to
0: do. That easy, huh?
1: (laughs) Well, it helped a lot to have an office at home. And I had my conferences right here where we are. I think it's just wonderful having kids. You learn so much. About yourself and about the world. And and for some reason, at my time, I needed three. All of my daughters had two, and I applaud. It would be really helpful to our earth if we didn't have so many people.
0: Besides that, I'm sure it's easier when you're not outnumbered by your kids. (laughs) Um, What um, personality traits do you think were essential for you and your success in your architecture career?
1: Well, I think one thing that was really important is that I listened to the man and the woman of what they wanted. And sometimes when I heard, I thought, oh, I got to get rid of that. <laughs> People get very attached to their own ideas, even if they're terrible. So uh, I learned, uh, well, I'll tell you one little funny story. I went to see this couple, and he said, we want to add a second story. And she said, and we want a pool." And, and we want this, he'd say, and we want this. And I didn't, I just didn't like that couple. She was especially harsh the way she spoke and the way she shoved her kids away and all. And finally the interview ended and I said, sometimes what comes out of my mouth surprises me. I said, I don't think you need an architect. I think you need a psychologist, a marriage counselor. And I said, I know a good one if you want to know.
0: Wow. And I left
1: and I thought, well, there went that job.
0: How did they respond to you?
1: He came out to the car and asked me for the name of the marriage counselor. Oh. And something like six months went by and I'd just forgotten about them. And they called and said, we'd like you to work with you. And I kind of am thinking, are you sure? <laughs> but I thought that whole little scenario was interesting. yeah. I've always been very open, and I do try to get what they have in mind, even if I don't want to build it, because I need to know what I need to move them away from. And I often start with, have you thought about da-da-da instead of? And once in a while, I couldn't move them. So it got built the way they said. I don't tell you I made those plans.
0: Sure. Everyone's got those. Um, Looking... At your career, what do you think your biggest accomplishment was? What are you most proud of?
1: I don't know. Just that I think I was a success. Proud of that.
0: Absolutely. With your daughter now being an architect, do you think, have you noticed any differences in the profession?
1: Oh, yeah. So many more women.
0: And what kind of architecture does she practice?
1: Quite similar to my practice. Oh really? She does it out of her home. Well, she just recently moved to a place that has little work cubicles for rent. When she was first getting started, I'd invite her down for a couple of weeks every now and then to help me. And it was such a pleasure working with her, because we just seemed to understand each other so well. And generally, I did not like being a boss, because I don't like checking other people's plans. And I couldn't let the plans go out without looking at them. And there were always little things that I didn't like. My preference was to do fewer jobs and do them myself,
0: which is a valid choice. And clearly, you didn't have problems with people waiting till you were ready. No,
1: well, I must have <laughs> lost a few, but at that time I couldn't take any more. I just there wasn't any more of me. Lots and lots and lots of my jobs are at the International Archives in uh, Virginia.
0: Yeah, how did that come about?
1: Well, one of our AWA members was on their their board for a while, and I think my invitation to send stuff came through her. And I thought, oh, this will solve my storage problem. (laughs) Because I I never did move to the computer except for specs. I drew by hand. When I'd go to the building department toward the end of my career, I got two responses. One was... (gasps) hey, come and look at this, they're hand-drawn. And the other was, come on, lady, we're in the 21st century now, get with it.
0: That's not very nice.
1: <laughs> I preferred the first reaction, I must say.
0: So if you were to give you know aspiring architects now any career advice, what would you say?
1: Well, I think I kind of become a mentor, not purposefully, but usually I just tell them, you can do it. I'm confident in your abilities. Uh And a lot of them seem to need just about that. And then they go off on their own or attempt a bigger project. But I never saw myself as a mentor. But I know I I just did it.
0: There's all this uh, talk about how so many women are still not following through with their architecture careers. And I don't know the answer to why. Clearly, you found your own way to do it.
1: Yeah, and that's what my daughter's done, too. I and mean, Her kids are grown and gone now. But uh, she had to earn the living, too. I think about my mom, who went to school with a horse and buggy and flew a <laughs> jet plane toward the end of her life. I mean, she wasn't the pilot, but she flew in a jet plane. And I think in my generation, it's the communication that's just gone over out the roof. And it's so different from and we had a telephone when I was growing up. One ring was the neighbor, and two rings was another neighbor, and three <laughs> rings was us. If you picked up the phone and the neighbor was using it, you had to wait. But we had a phone, and we had a radio. But TV and all the electronic stuff has come in since I was born. And it's a huge difference.
0: I, You know, I don't know anyone else who I could say has been working in architecture for 60 years with their own company, and a woman.
1: <laughs> yeah, I said to Dave, I don't know why she wants to interview me, you know, I haven't done anything special. And he says, yes, you have.
0: <laughs> really? You don't see it that way?
1: Well, it's like I didn't notice that I wasn't getting the attention from the professors in college. I was just doing my work as a professional, too. I've just been doing my projects. And people like what I do, so they tell their friends and neighbors and family. And I haven't done any grandchildren of the original, but I've done kids who grew up and then remembered their parents hired me, and so they hired me.
0: That's cool. That's one wow. thing
1: about longevity that helps.
0: I think you've probably made the world that I've entered into easier for me to enter into. I hope so. I can't imagine that it hasn't that you haven't had that effect because there's always got to be somebody at the beginning who's doing it differently and
1: Well, and it never occurred to me to when I couldn't find a job at the beginning to look for some other job. I mean, I was trained as an architect. Mm-hmm. I wanted an architecture job. So I I do have a perseverant quality that is mostly good.
0: Probably at the time, a common expectation that society had was that you were going to get married and have a family and maybe not work.
1: Right. Well, that's what my mom did. She went to Berkeley too, graduated in 1911, was engaged to my father for five years, and she taught school during that time. But as soon as she got married, she never had a pay job again, except she did watercolors, all those. She didn't make an effort to sell them, people found out about them and asked her to buy.
0: Do you think maybe that's where your artistic, creative side came from?
1: One thing we did when I was a kid was uh, jigsaw puzzles. And sometimes I describe architecture as a jigsaw puzzle. You have all these pieces that you have to fit together, except in architecture, you don't have a picture on the cover. You have to figure out the picture, too. (laughs) I think that might have influenced me.
0: And that's our show. I had a great time talking with today's guest, Weena Dowes. During our conversation, Weena mentioned the AWA Plus D, which is the sister organization to the AWAF, or the Association for Women in Architecture Foundation. Weena has previously chaired the AWAF Scholarship Committee and has also served on its board. They offer annual scholarships and a professional development fellowship. Receiving their fellowship in 2017 made this podcast possible for me to produce and has honestly changed my life. Their 2018 fellowship and scholarships are now accepting applications. You can find out more at www.awaplusd.org slash foundation, and I will also put links up in our show notes. Stay tuned because our next episode we will feature a really thought-provoking and inspirational conversation with Elizabeth Timmy of L.A. Moss. You can always find more online at www.xx-la.com or on social media at xxlapodcast. I'm your host, Audrey Sato, and I thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and share this with your friends.